Okay, I have to do the customary joke. Mm -hmm. This takes place in Ireland, so I have to have an Irish accent. Mm. So a pastor's in his church, and he's, he's one of the parishioners in the back. Some lady in black, all crying her head off. The pastor goes over and says, oh, Mary, Mary, is that you? Oh, why are you crying so much? She says, oh, pastor, my dear husband Seamus died last night. Pastor says, oh, Mary, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'll be praying for you. Tell me, was it sudden? Oh, yes, Pastor, it was very sudden. Oh, did he suffer much? Oh, yes, he, he suffered horribly. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mary. Did he have any last words? Yes. Yes, he did. He said, Mary, don't shoot me. <laughs> presenting the Word of God to others, John MacArthur once said, we are not the chef, we are the waiters, and our job is to try and get the food from the kitchen to the table without messing it up. And what a sigh of relief this chapter is, that the food we find in this chapter isn't so hard to swallow like the previous ones were. We're on such a beautiful chapter. Second uh, Samuel chapter 22, no crazy names to pronounce, no trying to figure out who's fighting who. No 10-pound heads being flown over a wall. Instead, we have a beautiful poem, a song written by David to the Lord. As much as David was a great warrior, we also see his softer side here. He's a poet and a musician. David was such a unique man. He had so many different talents. He could fight like a Navy SEAL and then turn around and compose like Beethoven. In this chapter, David writes a beautiful poem in pure... Hebrew poem using all kinds of metaphors to describe the Lord and his attributes. This song reveals David's personal relationship with the Lord during probably the most difficult days of his life. Most commenters agree, commentators agree that this was probably most likely written towards the end of his life because David's looking back at all the enemies that he fought over time. And in the end, this was actually put to music and was sung in temple worship. It's almost identical to Psalm 18, if you look at it. David is describing God's power, God's deliverance, God's forgiveness, God's justice in dealing with his enemies. And David's enemies were God's enemies, and God's enemies were David's enemies. Verse 1. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, and from the hand of Saul. David is writing this to the Lord. He's thanking the Lord for the many times he had saved him from his enemies. And there were many. There were the Philistines, the Moabites, well, all the ites. <laughs> his own son, Absalom, Shimei, the revolt of Sheba, and that's just to mention a few. But it's interesting to note that Saul is mentioned separately in this text from the other enemies. And I think it's because Saul saw David as his enemy, but David didn't regard Saul that way. David had many of an opportunity to kill David, but he didn't. He considered Saul to be God's anointed king at the time. And in the following verses, David uses multiple metaphors in a poetic fashion to give a vivid description of how God had rescued him throughout his lifetime. David uses nine metaphors in just verses 2 and 3. 
The rock seems to be the dominating metaphor in this poem. Verses two and three. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. David, I'm sure, is remembering back as to how he had found safety from Saul in the rocky caves and cliffs, which hid him and made him inaccessible and protected. But out of all nine metaphors, the rock is used the most. Hannah also used this metaphor in her song in 1 Samuel 2.2. She said, there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. However, the rock David speaks of is not just a physical place of protection. This term, the rock, is mentioned 142 times in the Bible. More times than not, it speaks of the person of God in the Old Testament and the person of Christ in the New. In Numbers 20, Moses is given water from the rock for the children of Israel to drink in the desert. And David says in Psalm 18, who is a rock except our God? In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Isaiah and Psalms, and Romans and Acts all describe Jesus as the rock, the rock of offense, the rock that was stumbled over, the cornerstone, the rock that many will fall on and will be broken to pieces. I don't think it was sheer coincidence that David used the rock as a main metaphor here. He's describing the Lord and projecting the Messiah that will come. He knew the words of Moses and the prophets at least up to his time. The next metaphors used are the shield and horn in verse three. These words describe David's military strength, which he knew came only about by God's enabling power. God had shielded David on many an occasion. The horn specifically was also used in Hannah's prayer. She says her horn is exalted in the Lord. The shield's an obvious symbol of protection, whereas the horn had many familiar features to the Israelites. The horn was used as an oil flask. It was used as a wind instrument. It was used as projections on the corners of the altars of worship, but in this passage, it speaks figuratively of a person as a symbol of strength. The Lord specifically is the mighty, strong horn that David speaks of. After calling God his savior from violence, he continues on into verse four with these beautiful words, which we sing even today in our worship services. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. David praises God for now leaving him to his enemies. And I fear in my spiritual life, I don't praise God enough. And it's no wonder that when I'm anxious, and I'm sure you all feel the same way, that we tend to turn to the Psalms for comfort. It seems that praising God somehow calms the anxious soul as we focus on the deliverer instead of our circumstance. And when we praise him, it brings him glory, it brings him honor, it brings him delight. But it also does something special, too, in our hearts. When I heard the news that my son had died, I remember it drove me right to the Psalms. And I kept saying to myself over and over again, God is good, God is good, God is good. And I'm sure any unbeliever hearing me say that would be calling the mental health line. But any believer understands that when your heart is like this, you, you want comfort from God. And you really can find it in David's work, work of praise. Job, when he was told that his family had died and he had lost everything, fell to the ground and worshiped and praised God. 
the Lord, he said, the Lord has taken away. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Noah, after watching the whole ancient world perish and was shut up in an ark for over a year, immediately builds an altar and praises the Lord and worships God. Praise is worship from our hearts, no matter what the circumstances are that we're in. David had it down good. He was the prince of praise. In verses 5 through 7, David describes waves of death, cords of Sheol, and overwhelming distress. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the abode of the dead, or in other words, the grave. And I'm sure David many, many times in all the battles that he fought must have thought, oh, this is going to be the last one. I'm dead now. I'm, I'm going down. But in verse 7, David cries to the Lord for help, and I love this verse. He says, from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry for help came into his ears. God heard David and answered him, and he answers us as well. His answer, well, it may not always be what we want to hear, but nonetheless, in God's infinite wisdom, he does always does what's best for us, as he did for David. At this point, David poetically describes God's great and awesome power in verses 8 through 16. He writes that God shook the heavens and earth, and that fire and smoke came out of his mouth and nostrils, so hot that it was like coals. Surrounded by darkness, he was riding on a cherub. Masses of water, sounds of thunder, lightning in the sky. And verse 16 says, Then the channels of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent lightning to rout the enemies. And I can remember many times when the enemies were routed by God, came into confusion and ended up fighting themselves. So that definitely happened. Much of what David is describing can be found in the book of Job. Job also describes God's awesome power this way. David describes the power of God in terms which describe violent storms, weather. And in verse 16, where the channels of the sea appeared open, harkens back to Exodus 15 as God miraculously parted the Red Sea for Moses and his people. And the enemy of Israel was routed by God then too, but into the water, into the sea. David not only remembered his own personal history with the Lord, but knew the ancient scriptures and what God had done for some of the patriarchs. We can learn to do the same, journaling our um, deliverances from the Lord as he has granted them to us, and also remembering the great men and women of old who were also delivered, who went before us. God's protection over David was a supernatural one. Like the night he snuck into Saul's camp, and God has sent a deep sleep over the men. David killed a seven-foot giant with one stone. David had killed lions and bears with his bare hands, he said, to protect the sheep as a shepherd. So we need to thank God for the many times we were protected and maybe didn't even know it, that we were in danger. So far, we see David's praise to the Lord for protecting him. He recognized how powerful God really was and that nothing was impossible for him. Sometimes it makes me laugh how I can trust the Lord for my salvation and saving of my soul, and then I'm worrying about next month's bills. If God can part the Red Sea and bring water from a rock, can he not help us in the trivial things or the temporal things? Verses 17 through 25, I think, are very important. And the reason I say this is that people tend to want to slander and condemn and criticize David. They cast aspersions on him because of his past sins, adultery, murder, and the fact that he showed himself to be such a poor father. First of all, David was not just any guy down the street. 
God chose and anointed him as a child. He was king over Israel for 40 years, recorded in Hebrews 11 as being in the hall of faith. His grandchild would one day be the Messiah. And God, who cannot lie, had made a covenant with David. Psalm 89, my covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever. His throne as the sun before me, it shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. God has also described David as being a man after his own heart. In these verses, David describes himself to the Lord, and then Lord, the Lord goes ahead and gives an assessment of David. Verses 17 through 25. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemies, for those who hated me were, were far too strong for me. They confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and not acted wickedly against my God. For all of his statutes and all of his ordinances were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless towards him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes. These verses cause people to say that David is bragging and that he's prideful or maybe even that he's lying because he calls himself righteous. This is not what David is saying. David's life was obviously, anyone knows, was far from someone's perfection. Everyone knows that. What David is saying here is that he knew that when he did sin, it was against God. And when he did sin, he wanted to repent. Psalm 51 is a whole psalm on his, him repenting from Bathsheba's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. But when he repented, his sins were forgiven, his transgressions were forgiven because he believed God by faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We must be careful at this juncture because when we judge or attack David, we're really attacking God. Because in verse 25, David says that therefore the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness before his eyes. God's eyes had declared him to be righteous. So who are we to declare David to be unrighteous when God says otherwise? Many in the Old Testament were declared righteous, and they sent Noah, Abraham, and many more. None of us has any righteousness of our own. Isaiah says our righteousness are as filthy rags, and any true righteousness we get has to come from the Lord, or it's worthless. But it certainly isn't sinless perfection in David's case. David's enemies were pagans. David served the one true God from the beginning. It was David, remember how infuriated David was when he was only a young boy, and Goliath was dishonoring the, the God of Israel, his name? Everyone else was standing around twiddling their thumbs, and David had just had it and he took it into his own hands. Yes, David committed murder and adultery and was a bad father and on and on. But what makes one sin any worse than another sin in God's eyes? Have we not all murdered in one way or another if we hated our brother? Jesus said that that was true. After David's sin with Uriah and Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan told David, God's put away your sin. David was a forgiven man, not a perfect man, because he repented. 
He didn't escape the consequences. They lost their baby, but nonetheless, he had repented. Isn't it David who wrote Psalm 103? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. David wasn't perfect. He was just forgiven like we are. God had made special promises to David, and through David's line would come our Messiah and our salvation. So we need to admire David for his love for the Lord. In verses 26 to 39, David almost sounds like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. With the kind, you shall show yourself kind. With the pure, you shall show yourself pure. But verse 28, I think is the best. And thou dost save an afflicted people, but thine eyes are on the haughty, whom thou dost abase. James said this very same thing in James 4, 6, when he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And David was a humble man. I say this because from the very beginning, he had multiple opportunities to force his way to the throne, and he did not take any of those opportunities. And when he sinned, he knew he had sinned against the Lord, and he repented. When he needed direction, he went to God for guidance. He gave God the glory for all the victories in battle, and they were many. And he was merciful to many men over his lifetime because he spared their lives because by rights, as king, he could have had quite a few people cut down, but he let them live. This is where David shows that he has a heart like the Lord's, humble, merciful, and tenderhearted. And we need to pray for hearts like David's. It would be the highest compliment of all if the Lord were to say to me, Michelle, you have a heart after my own heart. Spiritually speaking, there would be no compliment higher than that from the Lord. And David was not a one-hit wonder. His name is mentioned 1,141 times in the Bible, second only to Jesus. But more interestingly, David is mentioned 54 times in the New Testament by both Christ himself and the apostles, and in reference to Jesus as the son of David. In verses 29 through 39, both God and his word are described as a lamp, a light in the darkness. David is seen as leaping over a wall, but only by the power of God. He reinforces the fact that God is perfect, and so is his word, and that there is none, no one, like our God. He says this God, meaning the one and only God, the God of the Israelites. And his enemies saw this too. The word is not only a light, but also a shield of protection for all who trust and obey it. In verse 34, he, he says, He sets my feet like pine's feet and sets me on my high places. This verse is also found in Habakkuk 3.19. And I love that he uses hind's feet as an imagery here for his swiftness and stability. David is describing what probably many of you who've been to Israel have seen is the special mountain goat. And I know that you who have seen it are amazed by how they jump and how they're able to hang on to these cliffs. So I, I had to look it up. And evidently their hooves are almost like suction cups. So they're able to scale up the cliff to a 60 degree angle. And they have hooves that actually work independently. So one can hang and one can grab. And they jump many feet in the air and are very fast. And David used this animal to describe how God had given David special skills that he needed for battle. He was swift, he was stable, he hung in there, he hung on. He didn't run the other way. And I love that David uses nature, both weather and animals, to describe God and his dealings with him. God had also made David strong in making his arms as though they could bend a bowl of bronze. By God's power, David defeated all of his enemies, and he did defeat all of his enemies. 
Verses 40 through 51 focus back on God being David's rock again and how he was able to pulverize his enemies to the point that he was feared by the nations. Even the pagans were subservient to him. Verse 44 says, God kept David at the head of the nations. Not only was the Lord now causing David to have peace with his own people in Israel, but the pagan Gentile nations also recognized that he served a powerful God. Verses 47 through 51, David closes again, praising God for everything he has done. And again, the metaphor of the rock comes around. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted by God, the rock of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me, brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. David said it was the Lord who executed vengeance for him through the holy wars that David fought. David never sought personal vengeance, nor should we. David knew the word of God, Deuteronomy 32:35. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David fought his battles in and through God. And at the end of this poem, David says that God had rescued him from violent men, placed him over them, and for this he gave thanks and praise to God. Verses 50 to 51, Therefore I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to thy name. For he has a tower of deliverance to his king, and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. And who would his descendants be? David's line would eventually terminate in the Messiah. And this is why God so protected David, because this would be the Messiah's lineage, both David's Messiah and ours. Some application that I was able to pull out of this is, number one, we need to give praise to the Lord all the time. Even in the good and the bad, no matter what circumstances we're in, the world does not do that, and it seems strange for them to see us do that. So that alone is a witness. We're commanded to do so in Hebrews 13:15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. The second thing is it's good to keep a journal or record things that God has brought you through are your own personal deliverances. Recording these things is a great way to remind us of how good God really is in the worst of times and even in the best of times. Man is a very forgetful creature. Number three, we need to remember who David was, what kind of tender heart he had, how humble he was, and that God had commended him for having a heart just like himself. God made his own estimation of what kind of man David was. So we really cannot go against God in his opinion of him. Instead of highlighting David's sin, we should try and pray that we have the kind of heart David had. Which brings me to my final point. Sin is sin to God. We must not allow ourselves to get to the point where we think David committed such horrendous sin, but we would never do that. We would never commit murder or adultery. Pride always goes before the fall. Whether it's adultery, murder, or office gossip, it's all the same to God. It's an affront to his holiness. Given the right set of circumstances, I'm sure any one of us is capable of doing anything. Jeremiah said the heart of man is desperately wicked and sick, and who can know it? So David sinned, yes. So did Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Peter, me, you, all of us. Sometimes it's a good thing to take the telephone pole out of my own eye before I start taking the toothpick out of someone else's. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. And the only way we're forgiven is through Christ's death on the cross. If you have not put your trust in him, I urge you to do it today and not to wait. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for this example of David and all 
the praises he gives you, all that he's been through, and for your protection of him, and then giving us the Messiah through his line. Lord, I just pray for any lady here who does not know you, that she would seek you out, Lord, because whenever you, whenever we seek you, we will find you. In Jesus' name, amen.